to our eighth and final episode of Linklater's Asia Bite Size Antitrust Podcast 2021. I'm Marcus Pollard, and here with me today are my colleagues Fei Zhou and Arthur Peng from our Beijing competition team. In this episode, we'll be looking at China specifically. In our introductory episode some weeks ago, we have touched upon some of the key developments in China. So what do we have to go through today, Fei? That is indeed a good question to start, Marcus. One of the biggest developments in China in the past months is the proposed amendments to the anti-monopoly law. This was published on October 23. In fact, this is uh, the second round of consultation draft since 2020. As compared to the previous draft, this one proposes a wide range of changes. To begin with, a market share-based safe harbor from the monopoly agreements are now explicitly included. There were concerns that the current law does not allow the authority's discretion to include such safe harbor, so this is a change warmly welcomed. Um, the proposed amendments will clearly capture hub-in-hub-and-spoke type of arrangements. The current law is not clear how the hub will be dealt with if the hub is not a competitor or a part of the distribution chain, so this amendment will clarify that. Furthermore, uh, a RPM or resale price maintenance arrangement would no, uh, would no longer be an infringement if the undertaking can demonstrate the arrangement lacks anti-competitive effects. And also, a new type of abusive conduct has been added, i.e. unreasonable restrictions by digital platforms on other undertakings by setting obstacles through means of data and algorithm, technology and platform rooms. There are also changes to the penalty provisions and merger control, which we will get to in a moment. I'm sure our listeners will have many questions, as this is the biggest set of changes to competition law in China in over a decade. But let's start with resale price maintenance. My understanding is the Chinese authority has so far consistently taken a prohibition plus exemption approach. In other words, it does not need to, the authority does not need to prove anti-competitive effects. And it is known for the bar for exemptions is actually very high. In contrast, uh, the courts in China have insisted civil case plaintiffs bear the burden of proving anti-competitive effects. So what, what is likely to be different under, under the proposed amendments? Yeah, um, from our perspective, the pro proposed new rule represents a move to reconcile the longstanding divergence. Um, actually, uh, I would not think the uh, fundamental position has changed. It still prohibits RPM expressly, i.e. not a rule of reason test. What the company under investigation or the defendant can start its defense denying anti-competitive effects. That should be less difficult than substantiating the exemption defense based on efficiencies. In other words, a company can find the battle upfront by arguing there is no anti-competitive agreement rather than having to fight the battle from the back end by using the exemption as the last resort. Um, actually, it remains to be seen how the new rule will be implemented in practice. In particular, what level of evidence would be required by Summer or the courts respectively to rebut the presumed illegality of RPM. Uh, also, it is yet to see whether the court will change the burden proof uh, from the uh, plaintiff to the defendant uh, when it comes to anti-competitive effect. Okay, so potentially quite some changes in, in vertical agreements. And Arthur, what about the new types of abuses and what is the driver for introdu introduction of some of those, those new provisions? Thank you, Marcus. 
We understand the changes have been made specifically for the digital sector. The existing prohibitions for the kind of more traditional scenarios often rely on an implied presumption of the trading relationship. The equivalent trading relationship may or may not actually exist in the digital sector. For example, a platform operator may downgrade the level of interoperability with services offered by a competing platform for purposes of foreclosure. We have seen some long debates on whether the two platforms are trading with each other, which makes applying the existing prohibitions quite challenging. The current wording, though, of the new proposed prohibition is already quite broad. For example, in theory, tying could be captured by both existing rules and the new provision. So we will need to see the final form of this new proposed provision in the amended law and what guidance the authority may provide in either guidelines or actual enforcement cases. And aside from these substantive changes, what about process and penalties? Yeah, indeed. Uh, another category of the uh, important changes are new or enhanced penalties. Uh, so for the first time, personal liability for the substantive violations is introduced under the law. The proposal is that the management within the company may be held personally liable if his or her company concludes a monopoly agreement. The penalty would be a fine of up to 1 million RMB uh, or about uh, uh, 160,000 US dollars. Currently, individuals are only liable for procedural breaches like non-cooperation and not liable for substantive breaches. And second, monetary penalties also increase significantly. This is particularly the case for failure to notify or gun jumping in merger review. The current fine for failure to notify is only about 500,000 RMB or around uh, 80,000 US dollars, which is really peanuts if you can see the size of companies investigated. Uh, under the amendment, the maximum fine will be 10% of the previous year's uh, turnover if the transaction is anti-competitive. Even if it is not uncompetitive, uh, the fine is also increased to a 5 million RMB or about 800,000 US dollars, 10 times of the current cap. Besides, for breaches which are extremely serious or have caused extremely fragmented social impact and have resulted in extremely serious outcomes, the authorities may on top of the usual fine range, further increase the fine to two to five times of the original amount. Bay, that's a good point to stress. Two to five times of penalties means up to 50% of the previous year turnover. That is huge. Exactly. Um, actually, in theory, the fine could be up to 50% of the previous year turnover, and that is total turnover based on the current uh, uh, proposal, and not just the turnover concern, but infringement. Having said so, we know this clause has received lots of attention, and at the very least, there should be more guidance on what is the extremely serious situations where this clause may be applicable. Okay, so that's penalties now covered. But at the beginning, you also mentioned there are proposed changes to merger control rules as well. Can you tell us a bit more about those? Yes, indeed. Um, the biggest changes in the merger front will be the introduction of the stop the clock mechanism in the merger review process. Um, so currently, the, in China, the clock wouldn't stop no matter what. So under the new rules, there are three scenarios that the authority can suspend the review or suspend the clock, namely not responding to our request for information timely, new facts emerging that materially 
impact review and subject to the party's consent, additional time required to assess the remedy proposal. Um, this proposal leaves broad discretion to summer, for example, whether a new fact has indeed a material impact. Therefore, the, the suspension or stop the clock mechanism is generally expected to bring uncertainty and might prolong the merger review timeline. And if we're going to translate those changes into real-life impact, do you think the merger review timeframe in China will become significantly longer? We know that in China, some cases are pulled and refiled, which effectively extends the review to beyond the 180 days limit. Do you think there will be less pull and refile cases once this new stop the clock mechanism is introduced? Yeah, starting with your second question, Marcus, the proposal to introduce stop the clock mechanism would suggest an intention to reduce the number of approval files. Having said so, the exact impacts will depend on how the new mechanism is used in practice. Um, as to review timeline, in general, we would expect no issue cases to be clear still on the larger the same time frame as today. For significant, complex, and high-profile cases, each case would differ, and it is very much influenced by lots of factors, including filing strategies, uh, preparation, and such. It is possible that the review time frame may be longer. I think more proactive preparation and good quality uh, conversation with the uh, authorities and the management by the parties become even more important to minimize any potential impacts. Thank you, Faye and Arthur, for those, for those points. And of course, for those who are interested, uh, we have published a deeper dive in a recent publication on those amendments. So if you want to look at our podcast landing page, the link to that publication uh, is available. Now, aside from the proposals to amend the anti-monopoly law itself, what are the other highlight developments in China? I'm sure our audience has read about the Meituan case. So I won't discuss that in detail. I just wanted to highlight one common feature that is increasingly prominent in recent cases. That feature is the importance of the factual support of, uh, for defenses and justifications. In Meituan, Alibaba, and a number of other cases, the companies all tried to raise various defenses, but were all rejected by the authorities because those defenses did not have underlying factual support or evidence to substantiate. And in an earlier episode, we touched on the platform guidelines. What more can we say on this? Yes, yeah, sure. Um, Summer's draft platform guidelines covered the categorization of the platforms. Uh, that is, what is a platform and which type? It answers the questions that some may have, which is whether the platforms in the competition law context are limited to the traditional shopping uh, platforms. The answer is no, and it includes information and news platforms, financial service platforms, and so forth, as uh, clearly provided in the guidelines. The guidelines also include requirements for platforms, uh, i.e. what they should do depending on its type. In particular, it proposes additional obligations for super platforms and large platforms. These obligations include, for example, no self-preferencing, promoting interoperability, establishing data security review mechanism, and as such. The draft guidelines are in early forms and have a number of important issues not yet answered, for example, consequences of breach, uh, but are worth paying attention to. I fully agree with Faye. I think another development worth flagging is the proposed changes to the penalty provisions of the price law. So the price law has been around since 1998, so it's quite old. It includes prohibitions against differential pricing, low-cost pricing, and unfairly high prices. 
These are similar to the ab abusive conducts prohibited by the AML. The difference is that the price law prohibitions do not require a company to be dominant and takes effectively a per se illegal approach. Although easier to be caught by price law prohibitions, I think many have so far not paid particular attention to price law. One of the reasons is perhaps the fines under the price law are very limited, which are only RMB 5 million, approximately 800,000 US dollars max, if no illegal gains or illegal gains are hard to ascertain. The proposed changes uh, will really overturn that because it introduced a turnover-based approach and could lead to a fine figure similar to the anti-monopoly anti law penalty amounts. In short, it is easier to be caught by the price law and the penalty may change to similar to the AML level. Yeah, indeed, Arthur. Uh, in practice, authorities choose between the anti-monopoly law and the price law flexibly depending on the case at hand. In addition, the price law cases can be enforced by lower level authorities and the investigation can be rather quick. For example, the recent price law case against automobile chip distributors for artificially pushing up prices took only one month to complete. Given the increasing caseload and authorities need to take actions quickly, we should expect more price law cases, especially once the penalty provisions are amended. Well, thank you, Faye and Arthur, for these updates and insights, which really are timely and certainly give our audience quite a lot to, to digest. I'm conscious of the time. We, let's wrap up here for today. If you do have any questions, Faye, Arthur and myself and all our teams here in the region will be very happy to discuss. So please feel free to reach out. This is our last episode for 2021, and we really hope you've enjoyed the series as much as we have producing this for you. We welcome any feedback, of course, so do get in touch and let us know what you think. Thanks again for listening and goodbye.